welcome back to another amazing episode of Ed Up Career Schools, The Scoop with your host, Kathy Belletti. So today is all about financial aid, and I have the perfect individual with me who can speak on behalf of the financial aid process. So this beautiful young lady, she has won the gold award from the Case Circle of Excellence competition. She has a certificate from College Boards Institute on financial aid, and she is the president at Karis Communication LLC. So let's welcome Kara Durante. Hey, Tara. Hey, Kathy. Thanks for having me. Sure, sure. What's going on in your world today? Just really having that quiet week. Uh, between between uh, Christmas and New Year's is really wonderful for my business because I can sort of read all the articles that I didn't read, catch up on um, some client work, and it's just been really restful to also have some family time. Yeah, that's how about awesome. You? <laughs> that's definitely awesome. Well, Tara, talk to us about your journey. Every single time that I ask someone how they got into higher education, they always tell me by accident. So is that your story? How did you actually get into higher education, specifically financial aid and enrollment? Yeah, actually, the, it was it was pretty deliberate on my part to get into higher ed specifically. But I did the first part of my career was actually in technical documentation and software. Okay. Uh, I worked for a software company developing coursework and technical documentation. I was a software trainer for a long time. And so I have that background in sort of how to present complex information in a way that the student must understand it in order for my job to be successful. And so I did that for a long time um, and worked in corporate and ended up transitioning over to um, a K to 12 independent school because I wanted to get more into marketing writing. I didn't mm -hmm. want to do so much technical documentation anymore. Um, and so fortunately for me, the school that I worked for let me do the marketing work that I wanted to do, but they also started shuffling projects toward me that were more course development projects because they saw that I had experienced that, I had an appetite for that. And so I started developing um, courses for high school students on behalf of their school counseling office. And I really liked that a lot. And a lot of those courses were about the college application process and about financial aid. So started getting as early as I would say 2011, really started working on the back end of how students apply to college and how they learn about how to apply to college and how they learn about how they're going to afford college. And then after a while, I decided I really wanted to get into where that process sits in the higher ed mm -hmm. end of things. And so I started really looking for positions that would speak to my strengths. There weren't that many positions like that when mm -hmm. I started working for Swarthmore in 2014. They actually created the position. It was brand oh, wow. new at the time. Yeah, and I went to, um, I remember going to conferences back then, like going to the AMA Higher Ed Conference in 2014, and there were almost no other people in roles like mine. They would report up through advancement, or they would report up through the mag alumni magazine or something. Mm -hmm. There was sort of this new type of role coming about, and so it just felt like I moved to the other side of the desk from the high school end to the mm -hmm. college end, um, and I really, really loved working in nonprofit higher ed. Um, I was there from 2014 to 2019, five, five oh, cycles. Wow. Yeah, wow. I was director of admissions communications there for, for a number of years. So that's interesting. How was your experience as the director of admissions there? 
I loved it. I felt like it ticked all three boxes for me when I look for um, an experience, especially in marketing communications, I tend to look for three things. And I remember telling them this at the interview. Uh I look for a school that has good stories to tell. Mm -hmm. So you have to have good stories to tell. Um, The resources to tell them well, that doesn't always have to be money. It can mean people, it can mean making the students available, making professors available. Um, And then enough tolerance for risk to try to tell those stories in a different way and be about it. And Swarthmore really checked all those boxes all the time. And so I had a great experience there. They enabled me to do some of my best work. That is awesome. Well, what made you transition from Swarthmore College into Keras Communications, LLC? It's a good question because I loved it so much Uh (laughs) being there um, and and the work that I did and, and the folks that I worked with. I had done a lot of a lot of targeted work around financial aid communications and around in particular, student-focused communications, really counseling them through the um, enrollment process from both the admissions and the financial aid side of things. And I was looking for my next opportunity after having been there through five cycles. I thought, we'll have to redo the view book again soon, or we'll have to, you know, working on these, we'll have to redo the website again in a few more years. Um, And I thought I really wanted to broaden my experiences. And so I had started taking on part-time work um, just in my spare time. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of that work was course development work for high schools, doing more counseling, course development work. Um, I wanted to do more of that. And I really wanted to work for a broader range of schools. I really know that elite market very well from working for Swarthmore. And I wanted to work more in that market, but also work more in other markets. So I did a few executive searches that would have taken me out of state, which wasn't right for my family at the time. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I had clients saying to me, we have this great project coming up and they would describe it to me. And I would say, oh, I can't wait to work on that. And say, <laughs> we can't give you that project. It's too big. You already have a job. And I was like, oh, oh man. <laughs> so then I went back to them and I said, how much work would you have if I didn't have a job? And they said, oh, we can keep you busy for a while. And so um, really, I, I switched to Karis. I founded Karis in fall 2019, um, six months before the pandemic. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. Just in order to do... Um, you know, to do work for a broader set of audiences and and really dig into um, creating more courses for students directly. Because half my business is for for secondary schools and mm-hmm. half is higher ed. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So mm-hmm. let's talk about the financial aid process. Right? Yes. Because sometimes we always hear, all right, students may fall off during the financial aid process, not necessarily because of the financial aid team, but Correct. because there's certain information that they may not understand and they may not feel comfortable asking the same question over and over. So it's easier for them to just back out and say, you know what, I was way over my head. I think I should wait. So what are some of the hiccups that you found within the financial aid process? There's a lot of them. Let me pull out my scroll. (laughs) Yeah, there's, I need like a CVS receipt for Mm -hmm. that. (laughs) It's going to keep going, so... I will try to narrow it down. And and you're right. It is not the fault. The financial aid staff are some of the unsung heroes, I feel like, within higher ed you're staffing. Right. Um, and they have been hit especially hard by the staffing problems. I think I saw the latest NAFSA study said that less than a quarter of our financial aid offices feel even adequately staffed to meet student demand. So they're doing the best they can. Yeah. I, I right. lots of praise for the financial aid staff. I will say that most students don't understand, they understand that the financial aid process is complex. Mm-hmm. They don't understand that it's unique to almost every school that they look at. So it's it's like a fingerprint. The process is unique. The opportunities for funding could be unique. 
the um, caveats or the restrictions or the deadlines can be unique. So if you're a student, you're simultaneously doing all the senior year stuff, maybe if you're looking at undergrad, mm -hmm. you're trying to understand what financial aid is broadly. How does this work? And then let's say you're applying to seven or eight schools. You have to dig down into each one of those schools and figure out what that school does its own way. The school only has to know how they do it. Exactly. And that's all they care about because that's all they can care about. But I think that what we're seeing is a drop off in five spots along the process. Um, drop off meaning schools are losing students. They're losing enrollments due to poor financial aid communications. Mm -hmm. And they're losing them at five points, the search process. So sophomores, juniors, trying to figure out what schools to put on my list. So that's mm -hmm. search window of time. Um, if you can't, if you're only communicating a sticker price of 60, 70, 80 grand and not much else, you'll lose students in the search Absolutely. process. Um, the application process, I think also once students start whittling down their final list to apply, they're going to pick the schools that talk to them, that serve them around financial aid. Um, same thing applies with more intensity when you get to the yield part of the mm -hmm. process. Um, when students then are in the, I guess the, the hot seat trying to figure out, okay, which school am I going to pick They're again, they're not, they're not only going to pick the school that gives them the most money. They're going to pick the school that makes them feel the most comfortable. Yes. It's how they feel. Right. And then the last two times that schools lose enrollments is with the retention process from year to year. Remember mm -hmm. students, they're 17 years old when they enter 18 exactly. years old when they enter. And, and schools lose students because of financial aid communication problems all the way up through to graduation, which is really, really sad. Um, and so I really, my business is around trying to help students understand this process from both the high school end of things so that when mm -hmm. they take my courses as a high school student, they gain some basic understanding and agency and empowerment. Mm -hmm. And then I want to help schools fix sort of the more confusing or institution-centered communications, which really should, should be student-centered. Absolutely. I love that. I love that you spoke about the students because what I found over the years is sometimes schools are more focused on themselves. Come see yeah. us because we're amazing. This is what we can do for you. Uh, the Gen Z population right now, they're privy to that information. They're born into the technology phase. There's so yeah. much more information that's yep. available to them. So they understand the game. You know, mm -hmm. right now, students, they need to feel a sense of belonging. I always tell people students are habitual shoppers. Mm -hmm. So they're going to compare how they felt talking to the first yeah. eight schools as compar in comparison to the last school that they spoke to. It mm -hmm. has to go way beyond the programs that your school offered. Okay, we're in the top 10 with whatever. Students don't care. They right. want to know, do you understand my situation? Do you understand why I need to take this step? Right. How are you going to help me get there? Right. I love that. So you were working directly with financial aid and admissions when you were at Swarthmore, correct? Yeah, Swarthmore College is need blind. And so their financial aid office is completely separate from their admissions office. They even report up through different reporting structures and they have different budgets. So they're completely separate and they were my two primary internal clients. Yes. Wow. Okay. So here's mm -hmm. what I love about that. You were representing the two major teams that always do this. 
Yes. But heads. Okay. Yes. Admissions and financial aid, they're always butting heads. How was that experience trying to manage both of them? I tried to be a connector across mm -hmm. the teams and that that sort of headbutting is in part natural, right? Because if you work in admissions, you want to enroll the students that you're fighting for. And if mm -hmm. you're in financial aid, you're trying to essentially, to put it in layman's terms, you're trying to give away as much of your budget of financial aid money as possible in the fairest way possible. Okay. And, and also the algorithm for giving that money away is proprietary mm -hmm. and can't be shared outside the office really. And so there's going to be a natural friction where admissions want certain students to get more money than maybe they're being offered. There's that push-pull. Sometimes admissions, um, oftentimes admissions staff don't understand financial aid because they don't, it's not part of their wheelhouse and because it's so complicated. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm seeing, I see some, um, some, and, and, you know, among the clients I've worked with and colleagues at other schools, it's a pretty perennial problem to have financial aid communications written either by admissions staff who don't understand financial aid. Mm -hmm. So they're using this jargon that they don't really understand how to define, or they're written by the financial aid staff who doesn't know how to write for web copywriting, for example. And it's, it never really works out well for the student. They still need a de-jargonizer or a translator. Exactly. exactly. So yeah. when it comes to the admissions team, there's always been, okay, what can an admissions advisor say? You mm. know, what are they not supposed to say? Every school operates totally different, but when mm. it comes to compliance, we all know that there's certain things that admissions cannot overstep. And I yes. think that's where some of the advisors are blind to the process too, because they're like, oh man, they just asked me this question. Can I say this or not? Am I going to get shocked and then, you know, reprimanded? What are some of the things that you've seen that you know for a fact admissions needs to stay away from and what's okay to say? Yeah, that's a really good question. I would say stick to the process. Mm -hmm. if you're an admissions rep and you're out on the road or you're giving inform information sessions to visiting students or you're part of a digital digital session or something. Um, stick to what the process and the deadlines as well as the sources of funds. So if your school packages its own loans, make sure you include that and make sure the students, and I would say is make sure the students understand the terminology, stick to the very basics and then refer students to financial aid mm -hmm. for questions about their individual situation or anything that you're not really sure about. So if you're not sure, for example, if um, the financial aid could, in, could include stacked loans, for example, mm -hmm. if they bring in an outside scholarship, is that going to stack or is that going to replace institutional funding? So you know, a student might think I have a $5,000 scholarship. So that's going to go on top of what your school's offering me. Mm -hmm. Some schools it will, and some schools it won't. And that's a classic case where an admissions rep might not know the answer. Just refer it to financial aid and, mm -hmm. or ideally have a financial aid liaison as part of your presentation whenever possible. So you can just get them that answer right away. Absolutely. So would you say that it's fair for the advisor to just mention, you know, financial aid is offered to those who qualify. And this is what it consists of. And once you meet with the financial aid team, they'll go more into detail of what that would look like for you. I think that that's the very basic part of it. But I think where admissions folks could be trained to make their school shine is to talk about what differentiates their school from a financial aid perspective. Find out what that is. 
Got it. For some schools, it's the fact that your school is need blind, meaning that when your application for admission is evaluated, they're not looking at how much money you have in the bank. They're not allowed to look at that. Mm -hmm. They don't have access to that information. And so a lot of students don't know that. If your school is need blind, that's a selling point. That's something that you can go out with and talk about in a meaningful way without overstepping your knowledge base as an admissions rep. So find out what the core values are of your school around college access and affordability, and then talk about those core values as opposed to talking about the nitty gritty logistics about awarding aid and types of funding and all of those, you know, FAFSA, you know, mm -hmm. minutia. don't, don't get into that as much, get into what your school's core values are and how that's reflected in financial aid. That's awesome. I love that because sometimes when you take the focus away from the money, first of all, if every student that calls the school, they're interested in, okay, how much is your tuition and can I afford it? Right. Right. But when you continue to build value, all of a sudden they're not even concerned about that anymore. They're right. more concerned of, oh my gosh, this is actually going to get me to my ultimate goal. And <laughs> everything else is just extra. So if you had to speak to every financial aid team in every school, and you had to give them advice on how they can streamline this process to make it more stress-free for potential students. Mm -hmm. What would you say to these financial aid teams? I would, I would ask them to, I mean, most of them are understaffed. Mm -hmm. most, most of the financial aid teams that I've spoken with in the last year, they have a constant churn of emails from students coming in that they need to answer or they have applications that they need to process or they're undergoing their annual audit that they get every year of mm -hmm. their financial systems and so they don't have much time to focus on communications and they often don't have that skill in-house on the team to go over okay we want to redo our handbook or we want to redo our website or we want to redo the holy grail which is the offer letter mm -hmm. right i would advise financial aid teams to find a champion with expertise in communications who cares about financial aid. It might not be in your office. It might be someone mm -hmm. in the university or college communications office, someone who's really adept, the person who writes the website for the college, for example. Right. Find out if someone in that office wants to partner with you or find out if someone who handles all the communications for admissions really wants to partner with you on a student serving website, a student serving offer letter. That's that would be my advice. Um, if I if I were to advise directors and above at a staffing level, I would say just like more financial aid offices are hiring data science staff to run reports, um, up to the minute numbers and things, more financial aid staff should hire communication specialists. We have them in admissions. We don't yes. have them in financial aid. We should have them. It's a completely different discipline. So that's the advice that I would give is, is if they're looking at budget requests, which is this is the time of year to start talking about FTE budget mm -hmm. requests and floating that idea because you're going to expand your budget. Think about a comms person. And that person can even liaise with admissions, with the rest of the university. But communications is a weak spot for most financial aid offices. So that's where I would focus the effort. Absolutely. I love that. And you actually have an opportunity to do that with your company right now, because <laughs> I love the fact that you are helping, especially high schoolers, transition into what that process is going to look like. What I found is that a lot of students drop off because they're thinking, oh, OK, financial aid, a couple of days and I'm done. And now all of a sudden, this process is going into a week. And in some cases, a week and a half. And now students start to fall off because 
the picture was not painted of what that process would actually look like. Right. You know, our students don't have time, neither do they want to spend the time to complete the financial aid process. But I think right. the more transparent we can be from the very beginning, right. we can get more students through the admissions process. All right. right. Also, how do you think admissions and financial aid can actually work better together? I think they can, <laughs> I think they can maybe uh, mm -hmm. center, I think they can work better together when they align on not only we we're both working for the same team, which is the school. We understand what the school's core values are and how that manifests in our policies and procedures and funding. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about the student. We both are also on the same team in terms of guiding the student in. And so finding the balance between financial aid and admissions around um, less marketing, more counseling and education. Students, again, will remember how that feels to have a school mm -hmm. that defines terms for them that walks them through how to compare offer letters, perhaps, mm -hmm. that, that takes the time to um, create a website that talks to them directly instead of talking about them in the third person and the college in the third person. It all feels like you're reading a mortgage application. It's terrifying, yeah, right? Uh, make it less, make it, make it, make it practical, plausible, step-by-step. Step. So, so I think that, I think that admissions and financial aid teams can really come together. I would love to see more retreats and summits. I mean, all I do with financial aid folks is I, I walk them through an audit of their communications mm -hmm. from a student standpoint. And they go, of course, we should fix all these things. And it doesn't, it, it's not that it's hard. It's that putting that lens on to read an entire financial aid standpoint as if you're 17 years old with no one to help you. Yes. That's an excellent exercise. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I love that. Where do you see the future of career education? So I think that career education, for it to be practical and viable in the future, I think that most um, career ed providers are going to have to start taking a page from the playbook of schools like Drexel and Northeastern with their co-op programs. Hmm. I think they're going to have to start forming relationships with employers, especially if they're not, you know, national online programs, but they're more local and they draw from a more, more local audience. They're going to need to start becoming part of the employer ecosystem in a more meaningful way to say, hey, um, employer, like if I, can you look at my project management certificate program, or can you look at my, my, whatever my trade school offers, would you hire students coming out of this? Will you offer a paid internship or co-op program? Then that's an easier sell for students and it's more realistic, Absolutely. right? Um, I also wouldn't discount entrepreneurship as a path through career education and forming those relationships with local or national employers will also benefit entrepreneurs as they come through. Um, because a lot of you know, recessions will engender startups um, in greater numbers. And startup founders maybe don't have time for a four-year degree, but they have time for a two-year or six-month mm -hmm. or three-month if they can see how it fills a gap in their skills. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. Well, look, you have dropped some amazing gems for us today, <laughs> Tara. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? I would say the one final thought that I have is to think about financial aid communications as a different discipline from admissions and enrollment marketing. It's different. It's a completely different discipline, but it requires a special set of ethics when you're talking to students. Some of those ethics are in compliance and regulatory guidelines, but most of them aren't. It's sort of um, knowing what the right thing is to do by the student. And so I would ask colleges to really look through what they're sending out to students, anything that's student facing, 
and think about it from the student's point of view or anyone at home that's advising them, which could be a parent who didn't go to college themselves. Mm -hmm. I think that that is a huge risk for colleges right now in terms of losing enrollments. And I and it's, it's also aligns with most college access values in their mission statements to, to really encourage more students to pursue higher education. So it feels to me like financial aid communications are a natural way to improve that process for students. And mm -hmm. I just would encourage schools to really look at it and try to get help internally or externally if they feel like they need help. It's complicated. It definitely is, but there's something that you said that really hit a nerve. And when it comes to the buying committee, stakeholders, everyone that's involved in the process, a lot of times I would hear, my mom is not from this country. She doesn't understand financial aid. And Bingo. a lot of times that's where students fall off because if the parent doesn't understand and they're not willing to talk to the financial aid team either. Right. Student. Right. And like, so so when when colleges have this intention to enroll, let's say, students from different backgrounds or lived experiences, some of them are walking that talk in different ways. And mm -hmm. I feel like there's there's a real opportunity. You know, we've been talking throughout this conversation about how do we make students feel? Mm -hmm. And we as communications professionals, we control that. We don't control what the process is, how much money there is to give away, the deadlines, none of that, but we can exactly. control how we communicate that. And so um, we should always be looking for ways to help students who maybe don't have advisors at home or help students to offload certain tasks. Like if, if they have to go to your website and use a dictionary or open up another tab to look up terms mm -hmm. and your website isn't doing its job very well. Exactly. You know, I mean, one of the things that I did, um, when I was at Swarthmore, we were doing a almost two year project to revamp the entire website for the entire college. Wow. And so I had the admissions and aid sections of the website. And from the very beginning, I said, can we have a Spanish language microsite? And a few people that I talked to who weren't really involved with the project said, but why would you, the students have to know English? And I said, oh, it's not for the students. Exactly. I mean, it's for the students, so they don't have to translate for their family member. <laughs> exactly. And so we created a, a, a like basically one-to-one -one experience where it wasn't this like second class experience that mm -hmm. was hard to navigate, but just showing, hey, we see you. We, we don't want you to have to translate our website for your parents. That'd be weird. Exactly. <laughs> that, that kind of, those kind of initiatives mean a lot and help students feel that sense of they see me, I might belong here. They're making an effort in a way that that makes me feel good. Absolutely. I mean, imagine a student trying to translate financial aid information to their parent and they don't even understand what half of these terms mean either. It just doesn't make any sense. That would be a project. We did it on the admissions side. We mm -hmm. didn't do it on the financial aid side, but I would love to do that as well. That's more wow. complicated <laughs> than, yep. Yep. than the steps, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. It has definitely been a pleasure. I have tons of notes, <laughs> but I thank you so much for what you bring to the table. And I know that you're going to go so far. I am looking forward to round two. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It was great talking to you, Kathy. Absolutely. All right. Take care, Tara. Take care.